0: Hi, and just before we begin our latest podcast, I just wanted to take a moment and let you all know that on June 10th, there is a live stream coming from Distractions Media, where we're doing a little bit of fundraising for our Distractions Media team to help some of our colleagues get to Gen Con, the big gaming convention down in Indianapolis. If you'd like to help them out, uh, you can do so by going to Twitch.tv forward slash distractions media on the day to watch the event. Or you can head over to our webpage at distractionsmedia.com forward slash livestream, all one word, uh, where we have links to the donations and all of the various things that are going on, including the schedule. And you can find everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, Episode 48, Northumbria, Powys, Mercia, and Gwynedd. The Game of Thrones. In George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire series, known best as The Game of Thrones, the kingdoms fall to pieces with the death of the old king, and in its place, usurpers from around Westeros, the island continent, fight to reclaim the Iron Throne. The central throne of the kings. This concept and understanding of was based initially on the idea of a War of the Roses style situation where kingdoms fell and rose and fell again in the face of constant barrages of various sides trying to take over the single kingdom. Of course, in the War of the Roses, there's not a northern kingdom a western kingdom a southern kingdom and all of that kind of thing plus a third king coming from a you know europe to take over this is completely separate of all of that um in britain however in the seventh century while there's no central government the plotting intrigue alliances betrayals and general mayhem are on full display as the forces of the angles saxons welsh and the old north Fight to win dominance over the others, and at the beginning of the seventh century, we can honestly say there's no guarantee that any one of these sides would win or would lose, because the reality of it is at the beginning of this, uh, the Angles are split up into multiple kingdoms, the Saxons are split up in multiple kingdoms, and the Britons, uh, the old Welsh kingdoms and northern kingdoms, are all split up into separate and non-aligned kingdoms, for the most part. They will merge, ally, divide, fight with, argue with, do all sorts of nasty things to each other, but at the end of the day, there will be winners and there will be losers. And we get into this whole discussion initially, of course, as we talked about last week, uh, with the idea of Aelfrith, his conquering of areas into Gwyneth, the eventual rise of Cadwallan, the attack on Edwin, and eventual defeat of Edwin by Cadwallan and his allies in Mercia, uh, the then defeat of Cadwallan by the allies of the Angles and the Northumbrians, and that kind of kicks off what I would call the Game of Thrones, because at this point we have a number of kings across a number of thrones, and they will slowly either cease to exist or go into other alliances, other descendancies, other sub-kingdoms. All of this sort of stuff will begin with this battle in this time period. Basically from about 592 AD until about 678, everything is still up in the air in the north and west of Britain. The idea that, that the Saxons and the Angles had everything under control, that it was destiny that they were going to take over, that they would defeat the British, that the Welsh, the Scottish, and the Cornish would be completely divided, is still a question at this point. It's not a firm, determined history point. And while we know what the final result is, it doesn't mean that they knew. It doesn't mean that they fully understood, and it's not that they had that in their mindset. The other thing we kind of have to get out of our ideas here is this concept that there is a British side, and a Saxon side, and an Angle side. They didn't kind of look at it like that. We have to think of it more of, there's a Gwyneth side, a Powis side, a Mercian side, a Northumbrian side, a godothan side. You know, there, there's all these different groups working towards this fight. And yes, obviously, the British sides will ally with each other. The Mercians get involved on the side of the of the welsh for various reasons that we'll get into uh and of course the angles divide conquer divide conquer and all of this stuff goes on at a key point for these groups as all of them are growing and developing as kingdoms they've gone from simply being a bunch of tribal groups to a small sub-kingdom to a massive on that scale nation-state with armies with Nobles, with people who desire land and with the willingness to take it from their neighbors. So, all of that is what's building at this point. Uh, with the death of Cadwallan, of course, and the overthrow of the Mercians in 633, uh, or 634, however, Northumbria was on the ascendancy under the reign of Oswiu. The Mercian king at the time had been and would have been Cadwallan's ally likely because they desired the same thing, which was to to stop the Northern Angles kingdom and its influence over the island. In other words, Northumbria was becoming a big player. And in Charles Edwards' book, he describes this as being that Northumbria wasn't just influencing the north, it wasn't just moving west, because it was doing both of those things very simply. It was also seeking to make waves south and also to push even into the Welsh territories. And that is a frighteningly scary thing because up until this point, none of the kingdoms had been able to reunite Britain. Northumbria at this stage is so powerful that they start to unite everybody to take on them. (laughs) So that's one of the things that's going on. So all of these kingdoms were in a constant state of warfare, each seemingly gaining power over the other. And the major kings of the century were all killed during these battles. And it would be the stuff of major novels or maybe even a television series if people thought about it more. I think, if I was to say, I think this is actually a very interesting century. And I I would be very curious to see what a Hollywoodish take would be, although I'd be frightened to see some of what Hollywood would come up with. Uh, Because I think, in a way, this has the easy... Sort of wide variety of things you could drive a truck through because there's not loads of historical documentation, and yet there's still within it that core that you can use, and it's very much a very nasty sort of story. There's nothing nice about any of these people. let's be perfectly frank. you might be sort of sympathetic towards one side or the other, but the reality of it is these guys had to be ruthless, and they were uh, make no mistake about it. Edwin was considered a tyrant he considered himself an imperial of a the old Roman variety. Uh, Cadwallon was called a terror and a tyrant. Penda was called all sorts of nasty names by Bede. All of the... And even even his so-called allies in in Wales called him that because Ninius called him all sorts of names. Um, so the concept that these guys were allied and were friendly and were, you know, nice, decent folk that you wanted to take home to mom might not be the case. Uh, <laughs> so... Edwin is the first Christian king of Northumbria, who ruled with an iron fist across the north, as we said. He was then, of course, killed by Cadwallon, who then destroyed other pretenders before he himself was killed by Oswald in 634, as we talked about last week. Now, at the same time that this is going on, now, Bede says one thing. The history, uh, Nennius's history of Britain, says something slightly different, and we don't know where the two meet and diverge. But there is some, I, I think there's some flexibility within the two descriptions because uh, Bede gives Penda the kingdom of Mercia at around this time. Uh, in other words, they say that the Mercians were key in bringing down Edwin; they were funding it. Uh, now it could just be that that Penda is a very important noble at that time. He's the son of the king, the previous king, brother of the current king. So as effectively. Not quite the crown prince, but kind of. He would throw around a lot of weight in that kingdom, and so he could very well have done this all as a prince. And by 642, he's described as being already a king for a long time. Now, in Nennius's writings, that's very different. In fact, he describes the 642 as, and and we'll get to why that's important. 642 as being when Penda came to power, and that he was not king before this. So. I don't know which side to come down on. Uh, Charles Edwards kind of said you could actually split the middle between the two because there's there's enough argument to both sides to say that there is a likelihood that Penda could have come to power around 642. It would make some sense, and and as I say, we'll get into why. But now Mercia, which comes from the term Marcher people, and likely the king of Powys, uh, whose name is Kinthalane, ap. Kindewir, who is a king of epic poetry. In other words, there's epic poems about him, but little else. Uh, Now, this king of Paus was called an ally to Penda in the battle against Northumbria. Now, this may be because this king, Kinthalane, was a interloper to the throne of Paus and was a short lived dynasty rather than a long term dynasty. In fact, the dynasty that they took over from took it back shortly thereafter. So that may be likely why he's not in, say, the genealogies of Powis, yet has epic poetry written about him because the bards would have remembered his great victory. It's hard to say. Um, all we have is these names. We don't necessarily always know whether they exist or not. Uh, and this is just one of those cases. But I, I, I love the fact that he would have lived... And Powys seems to be, at this point, the big player. When you have the death of Cadwall in, in 634, it seems like, at this point, if, if he is, as we said last time, if he's a, a king of Gwyneth, Gwyneth seems to have taken a step back at this stage. And that could be because of this. Because with the death of their king, it may have taken them a while to get over the chaos of it. The other thing is, you have a lot of pressure on them from the other kings, And that may have put them in the place of being a sub-king all of a sudden. So now you're basically an ally slash subservient to another kingdom. In this case, likely Mercia. But we don't know that for sure. But either which way, on August 5th of either 641 or 642, we can't even be entirely sure of the dates. The armies of the Mercians and their allies confronted the Northumbrians at the Battle of Mice kugwee Powys and Mercia clash with Northumbria at, of course, in English, Ostrowy, in which the leader of Northumbria, Oswald, who'd been the one who killed Cadwallan, was himself killed. So, not even 10 years later, he also was killed. Uh, If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats Badge, on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com/slash Welsh History Pod 50 and use the code Welsh History Pod 50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code Welsh History Pod fifty at factormeals.com slash Welsh History Pod fifty. To get fifty percent off your first box, Plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
1: The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecle, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecle, spelled S I E C L E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.
2: Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions, Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.
0: While, as I said earlier, Gwyneth appeared to take a step back in the shadow of her eastern rival, Powis, They had apparently been the ones that had built up the alliance, and it appears like they were involved in this battle. Uh, This would have probably given Powis more power around into Shropshire, and into Wrexham, and these northern areas north of where their normal territory had been previous to this. And that all came at the expense of Northumbria. Mercia, of course, gains dominance around this time, and holds dominance for quite a long time after this. Uh, It won't be until 655, another 10 plus years later, when that changes yet again. Um, Now, as I said before, Ninius describes this as being in a key point because this is where Penda takes over. He becomes the king of Mercia at this point, killing his brother and killing Oswald. Um, So with the death of Oswald, Northumbria falls back again, once again, they fall back in the face of the pressure on them from the Welsh and the Mercians. At the same time, Northumbria is fighting this war. They're also fighting against uh, their neighbors to the north. Now, this whole fight between the north, the west, the south, and of course Northumbria comes about because Northumbria expanded dramatically in a very short period of time. I mean, there used to be two different kingdoms, Bernicia and the era. And within a very short period of time, they united into one kingdom. As they unite into one kingdom, they then have all of this movement in taking over several different kingdoms around them. And they start to push all these areas really rapidly. And of course, there's a couple of different suspicions as to why they're doing this. One of which is uh, Charles Edwards describes it as being a case of that In all likelihood, the kings of Northumbria are having to meet the land desires of the nobles. And so it's not about killing the British and wiping them out. It's about taking their land and reusing their peasants uh, on that property. So you kill off the nobles, take over their land, and now you can give that to the uh, nobility of your kingdom as kind of, you know, payment for their warfare and it's basically pillage by another name. And you continue to do this across all these battles and all these different ways. And so that's kind of where we go from here and that's where we start this whole epic is over this constant need to expand and this constant expansion. So understand that the reason why Northumbria is doing this is in this idea of continuing to feed their own uh not a desire for vengeance or warfare, but to continue to hold the loyalty of of their leaders and continue to push the best they can against outside influence and outside forces. And in doing so, of course, they isolate themselves and it leads to the problems that they're about to have. So as we just described in the Battle of 642, The Mercians, combining with the Welsh, once again defeat them. And once again, Mercy is on the ascendancy, Northumbria is on the down. And at Osteru, this idea that the Northumbrians are in charge starts to dissipate. It's about this time, of course, when Gwyneth gets back involved, when Powys is big time involved, and everything starts to continue to grow. At the same time, a new king is in Northumbria named Oswiu. And Oswiu is a very clever tactician, it feels like. He seems to be able to win battles that he shouldn't, but we do know that he starts bringing all of his enemies to him, and they chase him all through 655. And in fact, a description is given by uh, Bede that they end up fighting Oswiu up to the... Uh, they actually go into the northern half of Northumbria, and they're even fighting them on the borders of Scotland. And it is there where they actually defeat Oswiu briefly anyway, and they actually make him pay the price for his uh, willingness to continue to go to war against them. Uh, at a place uh, in Welsh now known as Ithu, uh, it is there where he actually is forced to then pay the restitution of Itwu, which is effectively giving a Dane Geld, for lack of a better word, to the to his enemies. But after doing that, obviously he'd been defeated, but not so much so that his armies had been defeated. He then turns around after that battle's over and then chases Penda, who was one of the leaders in that battle. All the way back south and defeats him and the rest of his client kings at the Battle of Winwade or Wingfield in modern English Uh, and this is the end of Penda Penda who had been the leader of the Mercians during their first big golden age when they had a fair amount of power at one point I mean from 642 to 655 they were the power in northern Britain but now, they're laid low. His brother, who was made king, ends up being killed by his own wife, who poisons him to death. And eventually, his son, Wulfhere takes over. And Penda's lineage continues to control the kingdom for another good 60 years after this. And they will continue to have a large amount of influence on the fortunes of Mercia. But Mercia will take a little while before it will rise again. To this level of influence and largely it will do so as Northumbria starts to fade into chaos but for the moment this is the high watermark until then but at this battle which may have included the death of Ken uh 30 nobles including kings of Wales and East Anglia were killed at this battle probably also the northern British kingdoms kings so Oswiu, who had lost, wins bigger than he lost. And Panda, who had won, lost bigger than he won. And in the end, we're still not at the end of all this. Northumbria takes over. Their influence is quite large for quite some time to come. They have effectively put an end to the Northern Kingdom's ability to fight against them. Uh, This will be... A larger problem for the overall safety of northern England and southern Scotland as far as Northumbria goes because they will continue to have influence there until the Vikings invasion some nearly 200 years later and because of that these British kingdoms cease to exist uh, they merge into what is called Strathclyde and they're never really the same after this the British kingdoms in Scotland more or less cease to exist within a few hundred years of this. Of course Strathclyde and others hang on, but they're nothing like what they had been before. Their influence is nothing like it was before. And so this defeat is huge. It determines that the British in the North are done. They are no longer a going concern in the fight for the Game of Thrones. Northumbria now is the key figure at this stage and in control. Mercia is on the descendancy, uh East Anglia, which lost their king, same sort of thing. And, of course, similar problems probably for Powys and Gwyneth, who then face the wrath of Oswiu. So just because they sort of survived doesn't mean they don't have problems coming their own way. In fact, the king of Gwyneth at the time, Cadfel, faces a ton of pressure from Oswiu, and he is the one king to escape. Uh, all of this, according to various sources. Now, part of the reason why he may have survived this battle, and part of the reason why he escapes, is because where this battle ends up being fought at is near Leeds, according to what the academics think, and at uh, the place of the River Went, which is where this name has come from. And this would have been a, a perfect opportunity just before that for Cadfael to have taken his troops and start to move to the west. Of course, this also then would give us a concept that at this point, Penda is only with his Welsh allies and with his East Anglian allies. There's no northern British allies with him because why would they have gone south with him? There'd be no no sense to it. And so the fact that he could be attacked at this point and then cut off probably means that in part, he had lost some of his key allies if Gwyneth had left the field. And there's lots of circumstantial evidence to say that this is the case outside of the sources. Because, of course, one of the things that he is called is a uh, battle shirker. That's, that's that's a pretty pretty grim uh, idea and concept that, effectively, Cadfell had left the field and had shirked his responsibility as an ally. So there is this concept that he is at fault for what happens to Penda and others. I think that's all possibly overstating it, but it depends on how powerful at this point Gwyneth's army would have been and whether they would have made the difference in the battle and whether they actually did split off before this or maybe they escaped by other means or did they come to terms with Oswiu? That we don't know, but we're guessing by the fact that there's talk of Oswiu continuing to put pressure on the Welsh after this. That in all likelihood, that wasn't the case, that Gwyneth actually still faced the trouble of dealing with Oswiu, dealing with all the problems that this brought, and having to deal with him in general. Now again, here in all this discussion, we have to talk about Bede's biases, and I, I, I'm sorry that I continue to do this, but it's just because you have to understand kind of where he's coming from. Now when we talk about these battles, one of the things that that happens in this battle where Penda finally gets Oswiu to cough up money uh it comes about because um Penda's he's trying to pay Penda off, and so Bede has him basically trying to pay him off to avoid continued attacks, but basically that Penda decides not to accept the offer because he had decided to destroy and to exterminate Oswiu's entire people, both children and adults, which again. We know from Cadwallan and others that this idea that Bede had, that everybody was trying to destroy the Northumbrians outright, trying to wipe them off the face of the earth, is hyperbole. That there's no way he could have been trying to accomplish that. In all likelihood, that's, that's just stretching beyond any sort of real idea, because why would he do that? <laughs> He doesn't need to do that it, all he's doing is trying to stop the northumbrians he can do that by putting someone else on a throne or by he himself assuming charge by killing just the nobility you accomplish that and i mean to put it blunt you're still killing people but the reality of it is he doesn't have to wipe out the entire people and i think this is part of the problem when we look at the history of wales and england in this time period, because the writers themselves are talking about extinction, talking about the fact that they're trying to wipe out this people and wipe out that people from man, woman, and child, and blah da 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 and reality of it is is that's very, very unlikely that that was never the case, that there was never a desire to exterminate an entire population. That sounds very biblical actually, if you think about it, and it's just not the case in reality, typically in warfare of that time period in previous warfare of that period there just wasn't evidence that people were trying to wipe out others in fact even if you look at the northumbrians when they wiped supposedly wiped out the british in elmet the evidence actually shows that the british still existed in elmet when the west saxons took over areas they still kept the british on the tax rolls so There isn't this sense of cultural genocide that I think Bede appeals to so often to try and make his point about how desperate and terrible it is, especially when Penda's a pagan versus Oswiu the Christian. He's always going to come out on this side that the pagans are evil and terrible and nasty and, and, you know, poor Northumbria, you know, my sweet home, my native land is being picked on. And if they would just bend to our, you know, sweet and understanding government, you know, then it'd all be better. And I think that's where we have to continue to be skeptical of these sources and continue to be keeping ourselves sort of grounded in reality that, that they're looking at things from a perspective which we just can't look at. If we start to do that, then we become no better than those who have done it to us in their own way. You know, think about... How the perceptions of Westerners are in some areas where people aren't necessarily as informed, where the concepts of Eastern peoples at one time was considered by our people. You know, it's very easy to sort of see things in the worst light, in the worst way. And it's very simple when it's an us versus them situation to become very much caught up in that concept and believe that the worst of others. And I think, if nothing else, that we're learning from reading these sources and understanding and studying history of Wales, that we need to understand that people foremost are people. They're not strangers. They're not foreigners. They're people, human beings, just like us. Just because they're back 2,000 years or 1,500 years or 500 years or 200 years or 20 years, it doesn't make them really different fundamentally from the rest of us. And so, thus, they are offering to us evidence that they believe is important, but may not necessarily be critical to understanding what really went on. And I think as we read Bede and take and read Neneas and read Gildas and all these sources, and I keep harping back on this idea, but there's a reason for it. And I think the reason is is because it's so easy to get caught up in this argument about, well, so-and-so was trying to wipe us out and now we're trying to, you know, just get our own back. Well, history's full of this. Everybody's trying to get their own back on somebody at some point. And we need to be clear on that. And we need to understand that these battles, these people didn't understand themselves as English. They didn't understand themselves as Welsh. They barely understood themselves as British. They usually understood themselves as people of Gwynedd, people of Powys, people of Dyfed people of Northumbria, people of Gadoffin, all of these places are their nation. And so they understand within that narrowly defined concept of that. And always remember that these are church people writing at this period of time. So they're heavily influenced by biblical callbacks. And so the idea that you would wipe out another nation is a very biblical callback. And it isn't necessarily what we're seeing here. So, yes, this is a Game of Thrones. Yes, this is a bloody, miserable, terrible environment wherein a lot of people died. Let's let's be honest, a lot of people died fighting for possession of what would become these places. But it's not as grim as Bede makes it out to be. It's not as good as sometimes others make it out to be. But in the narrow between there, there is where we're going to get to. So I look forward to continuing to talking about this. This is so fast. I find this century so interesting because so much is happening in so little time. There's so much more evidence because Bede's writing all this down. And it's within relatively living memory for him. I mean, it's, he's not alive at this point, but he knows people that were. You know, it's like talking to your grandfather about World War Two or talking about You know to maybe an ancestor about other things all these events that for them are present they have stories to tell he's jotting them down keep in mind how that works right it's it's like you know what somebody remembers when they're 70 and they're telling you you know that happened to them when they were 20 or 30 Eh, it might not be exactly the way it is now but yet at the same time there is truth within that and that's the great thing about history and We do owe a lot to Bede for what he's written down. We owe a lot to Nennius. We owe a lot to Gildas. And all of these early writers, make no mistake, without them, we would know nothing about this era. So we're we're fortunate to have them. So while I may be critical of them, it's because we need to have a critical eye to all of our sources. This will remain the case into the decades to come and don't make any mistake modern writers are full of bias and full of problems as well we we were all guilty of it to some extent and as best as we can we try and maintain our biases separately but let's be honest I'm trying not to use too many English sources I'm trying to keep this more focused on the Welsh history rather than maybe an overall history so thus I'm skewing things a little bit so does that make me biased yeah obviously so keep that in mind when we're thinking about this. this isn't, bias isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just if you understand where you're coming from and you understand the bias inevitably in the discussion, it makes it a lot easier to go, okay, I see now where he's coming from. Nennius and Bede aren't necessarily bad people. They're just writing what they know. And writing what they know is not necessarily writing what's history. And so if we can parse between those things, it's, it's great and it's wonderful. And there's lots to get from it. And this is an exciting period, and we're talking about history, we're talking about people. There's even names for one to, to talk about that actually have some historical evidence on. So there's a lot of great and interesting things. Next week, we're going to go into someone who I have a lot of trouble with. And unfortunately, a lot of other people believe. And that is the elephant in the room, Jeffrey Monmouth. Until next time, everyone. If you have any comments, concerns, or questions, you can reach me at the Welsh history Podcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Welsh History Pod. You can also go to Facebook and follow us there at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. And hey, if you have comments or questions or you just want to, you know, give us a like rating or review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on any of these other tools you use that would help others to find us, if you want to recommend this podcast to someone, that would be wonderful. I really appreciate the kind expressions that everyone's given us this is such a fun project but is so interesting for me and i'm so glad that you're sharing it with me and i can't wait to keep going we've almost reached our year mark i can't believe it's been almost a year since i started this podcast anyway everyone have yourselves a great day we'll talk to you later take care everyone bye
1: This has been a Distractions Media production. For more information, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted